G'day, it's Neil Benson, and you're listening to Amazing Apps, episode 132. It's my pleasure to have Andrew Lee as my guest today. Andrew is a solutioning lead at IBM. Honestly, I haven't made that up. <laughs> that's, that's his real job title. Sounds like a great role. Andrew assures me he still has utilization targets to achieve. He's an MVP. He's also a fast track recognized Dynamics 365 solution architect. So maybe he is billable after all. Join us as we chat about the merits or otherwise of a low code, no code approach. The demand for in a day training like app in a day and dashboard in a day sessions hosted by Microsoft partners like IBM, industry focused user groups, we talk about Figma and user interface design for Power Platform applications, whether the metaverse will ever meet business applications, Australian slang words, and Andrew's contribution to the PCF gallery. You'll find a transcription and show notes at amazingapps.show slash 132. Here's Andrew Lee. Andrew, welcome to the Amazing Applications Podcast. It's great to have you on, mate. I can't believe this is your first time. I, What was I thinking? I should have had you on years ago. Where have you been all my life? I don't know. You should have asked me a couple of years ago. There you go. <laughs> so, Andrew, you're a Dynamics 365 Power Platform architect, I guess. Um, yes. From South Australia. Here's something interesting I looked up the other day. I think right now it's about 10 to 7 in the evening in Brisbane. Are you ahead of me in terms of time? Yeah, we are, actually. It's like 7.18 at the moment, PM, Adelaide. You're 30 minutes ahead, but yeah, Adelaide is west of Brisbane. Wow. What have we got, like four time zones in Australia? I think South Australia has got its own special thing going on. So you, you're normally half an hour behind Victoria and New South Wales. Correct. But right now, both of those states and, and South Australia are all observing daylight savings. And we don't in Queensland, so you're half hour ahead, but you're west of us. That's really weird. Congratulations. I still don't understand why um, Queensland doesn't uh, observe daylight saving. I thought you guys would be the most to benefit from daylight saving, given the beautiful beaches and that. Yeah, it's something to do with, uh, as you get closer to the equator, it is, is less of an impact. But you know, oh. something like cattle not being able to sleep properly at night or people's cur curtains fading, there's all sorts of excuses. Oh, mango's not growing right, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, I moved here five or six years ago and I thought it was really strange that we didn't observe daylight savings, but now I've got used to it. I love it. I love just having a constant calendar all year round. It makes life much easier, especially when I'm traveling you know, across state. It certainly does. Why don't you just take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience? I think I, I butchered that one, but uh, tell us all about, <laughs> about who you are and about the pleasures of living in South Australia. Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew Lee, I'm a Microsoft Solutions Architect. I work for IBM, Microsoft MVP, Fast Track Recognized Solution Architect and Power Platform. So I've been in the Microsoft space for, oh God, I'm going to say 22 years now. Wow. Starting Windows NT going forward from there. Uh, then I was, uh, went to Oracle for a little bit, uh, just doing Oracle systems, Java systems and that and came back to Microsoft. So and it's been interesting. Like it's just uh, just been really interesting sort of work from CRM work to basically anything, healthcare industry, defense, you name it. Uh, it's just taken me across a whole bunch of broad spectrums. And so my focus these days is more around building user experiences and getting sort of that user experience lens and Less on the day-to-day -day coding side of things, uh, but it's part that I sort of enjoy the most. And like you say, I'm based out in South Australia. I've been here all my life, born and raised South Australian. It's interesting. It's wine country for those who don't know. It's, it's basically where most of our wine comes from. So that works well for me. <laughs> <laughs> Good. 
Yeah, I had a nice uh, glass of, um, what was it, a bottle, <laughs> a bottle of semi-sauvignon blanc from, uh, from South Australia this weekend. Lovely stuff. Yeah, lovely. Beautiful, beautiful. Have to do a wine tour together, mate. Yeah, oh, that'd be good. I'd love to get down to Adelaide. And, and, yeah. So are you in the city centre? Are you out in the suburbs somewhere? Are you out in the hills? No, I'm in a suburbia. <laughs> so uh, pretty close, pretty close to the action without having to be right in the middle of it. I mean, pretty much it's easier to get anywhere in Adelaide. Half an hour to the wine country, 15 minutes to the beach. So Nice. Yeah, it's nice. As a friend of mine goes down every year. There's a big, I guess it's a pretty international cycling competition. I think it's January. Tour Down Under. Out, Tour Down Under, yeah. Are you a cyclist? I don't know if you follow it. No, no, but the tour down under comes through my area where my suburb is, right. and they do a whole sort of. I don't know. It's I don't know much about the cycling world. I'm not going to pretend I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's just interesting to see all folks uh, come along for that. So yeah, I don't know much about it either. But I thought, well, you know, a boys' weekend in Adelaide—that sounds good. I might have to just read up on it a little bit so I don't embarrass myself. But I don't know, man. I can picture yourself as you know <laughs> uh, in the lycra and doing the whole get the whole kit and caboodle going on. Yeah, I uh, need to lose a couple of Ks first before I can fit into the Lycra. So what do you do to keep fit these days? Jim, really? I mean, I, I mean I've uh, sitting down on a computer, it's done me no good over the years and sort of had to battle with sort of health issues, back issues, that sort of stuff resulting from that. So just a bit of cardio and going to the gym and going for walks and do what I can. You know? You've got to do it these days. And uh, just particularly with COVID now, I found that you know, if I wasn't getting out outside, and been working from home pretty much the last two or three years. Just lack of vitamin D, you've got to get out of there. You know, you've got to get out of that space, absorb some sunlight. Yeah. What about yourself? I've had some pretty intensive chiropractic work over the last couple of years as well, just from, yeah, bad posture. And last couple of weeks, I've taken up F45. So it's a high intensity interval training, is that what it's called? 45 minutes. The first time I did it a few weeks ago, I came home and I wanted to throw up. I was. My legs were jelly. I don't know how I drove home. I was just sweating buckets. It was horrendous, but it's got a bit better. Although the last class I did, it was a lot of, what do they call it, time under tension. So you had to do like lots of half squats and, and lunges and stuff, and just a lot of glutes work and, and hamstrings. Uh, I've had a tight pair of legs the last couple of days, but uh, it's getting better. If you can keep that up, it's great for you. But I've heard so many people have just gone into it after being quite like out of action for quite some time and they really end up hurting themselves like just <laughs> so uh yeah you'd be knackered after the first day i can imagine that yeah i was talking to my carol about it he said oh the best thing for his business was crossfit and f45 <laughs> right right okay <laughs> people going too hard too fast too soon exactly exactly with anything <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so tell us about um, about life at ibm you and i worked both worked at kpmg australia but i, I don't think our paths crossed i think you started uh, slightly after I left, and you, you've moved on now to IBM. Tell us more about your, your role there, the type of work you do, and the team, and, and the kind of clients you're working with. Yeah, so I'm a solutioning lead for um, Power Platform and Dynamics 365. Most of the clients that I deal with are just probably mid to large enterprise, really. A, couple, a few global firms out there, mining firms, banking, gov, all your usual sort of clients that you'd imagine IBM would be servicing. So uh, it's quite surprising, actually. Um, when I got here, I wasn't sure how much of a Microsoft uh, you know, lens, that focus they had, given that they've acquired Red Hat and they've got a number of platforms like Watson's, uh, which were competing platforms to a lot of the AI technology Microsoft built. But it was actually a really strong contingent of Microsoft practitioners. So I was 
quite impressed with some of the capabilities. So it was interesting just to hear some of the stories that my colleagues uh, overseas, particularly in North America, are actually dealing with, found some of their use cases really, really interesting, especially in federal government. I can't say too much about it, but I was like, Wow, it's actually quite an interesting use case in Power Platform and just the whole Microsoft things. Right now, my I service particularly most of the large enterprise in, in Australia currently. I'm there in some sort of a like a technical consultancy capacity, like quality assurance, those sorts of things, as well as advising clients on how to get off the ground and get the most out of the platform, almost like an evangelist role, a little bit more technical than that. So yeah, whenever you said uh, a solutioning lead, I thought that sounds like a cushy, uh, non-delivery, non-billable type of role. Awesome. I wish, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I've still got utilization targets. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I got the impression that IBM is really quite strong here in Asia Pacific over the last couple of years. You know, there's quite a few of my my friends and and colleagues have have, uh, joined there and you're building up a strong practice, but it's good to hear that it's, uh, it's a global practice as well. So good on you. Yeah, definitely emerging. And uh, I think in the past, when you thought of IBM, you thought of mainframe servers. Uh, I think of legacy systems, credit card systems, that sort of stuff. But uh, really, they've sort of diversified uh, quite a lot. They went into sort of this hybrid cloud where they support, you know, Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, and of course, Microsoft Cloud. And it really are focused on building some capability in that space. And that's where myself and none of my colleagues, uh, Shay Parsons, you would have known, heard about him, Darren Clark, Jason Ferguson. These guys are pretty well known in the industry. Mark Smith, obviously, another fellow MVP, really sort of pulled around and uh, helped build that capability in ASPAC, uh, particularly Australia and New Zealand, also there than uh, other parts of Asia. So I'd love to know more about the demand that you're seeing in, in the market. Is there still a strong demand for Dynamics 365, first-party apps like sales and customer service? Are you seeing it more in enterprises deploying and power platform and thinking about governance and scaling? Do all the topics close to the hearts of your customers? Look, I think the demand is around power platform. You know, it's taken a while to get there. I think the organizations here in Australia who have sales systems have had them for quite a long time. Like they would have had Salesforce or they've had Dynamics 365 sales or service or customer service, build service, those first-party apps that probably have them deployed already. So now the conversations that I'm having is, well, how can you maximize the benefit of that? Uh, how could you extend that and reach other parts of our organization without necessarily going down the route of them buying a full-tier license? like a full premium enterprise license for Dynamics, when they have specific workloads that may not even fit specifically with sales and if you're not going to be using you know, 80% of the functionality of it, well, why would you do that? Why would you have something a bit more targeted? And for me, I think that presents a new opportunity because now you could start to build apps that really work the way the individual does rather than have the individual work the way the app does, right? So it's a different paradigm shift. So these guys, a lot of these, uh, my clients have started their journey often by themselves. They probably dabbled in it. They probably built several apps and that's where they come and ask for a bit of assistance around how do we stop this from turning into the next version of Access. So, yeah. Do you find yourself having to dig clients out of challenging situations they've boxed themselves into or, or is it just a matter of, you know, helping them scale up and scale out uh, and they've, they've laid a good foundation themselves. 100%, 100%. I think it's partially the way Microsoft have also marketed the Power Platform. It's a low-code app. 
you can pretty much give it a go, build things in yourself, deploy a starter kit to do some governance. But uh, then they quickly, when they're building at scale, and these guys are looking at building massive, massive deployments uh, across their organizations, that's where the story can sometimes come a bit undone. And it's really a cultural shift for them as well because now you're taking it out of the domain of their IT departments and you really are bringing together what are fusion teams where you've got the business users and the IT coming together and plus vendor support to be able to provide that sort of uh, next level support as well. And so it's a completely different paradigm shift for them. And and that's why I think guys like us who have a lot of exposure and have a lot of experience in this space can come in there and provide a lot of uh, guidance and best practices around that because they may not necessarily be aware of that. Yeah, I had a really interesting debate recently with one of my customers and this low-code, no-code mantra has really got inside their head. and they're, they're wanting us to build a fairly complicated enterprise, mission-critical solution, mostly around customer service, but with lots of other parts added and extended. And they're hoping that they can maintain it themselves and look after and administer it themselves. When I ask them, who's going to do that? You know, is it going to be the customer service manager? Yeah, well, hopefully. Well, can we borrow that person and bring them in to our project team? No, no, she's too busy. Well, later on, we're going to give her this system that she's never had a hand in building and I'm going to maintain and extend it. Is she a, an expert in Azure Service Bus? Because that's what we're using to integrate with your back office system. I just wonder if the low code thing is maybe it's appropriate for, for team productivity apps but departmental apps, but for mission-critical, complex enterprise applications, I don't really see an ICT or, or IT departments abdicating their responsibility to look after these things and staff it with a professional development team. So it's, it's some difficult conversations to be had out there. Yeah, I think so. And you've got this whole aspect of data, go- you know, governance, security. It's been in the it's been in the news quite a lot recently in Australia, as you know, right? So no, I don't see them ab- advocating there role in this. Uh, I think if anything, they have a stronger governance role to play in all of this stuff because, you know, shadow IT occurs irrespective of whether or not, you know, they enforce it. People are building their applications in Excel or Access or using macros in Outlook even. You can't really easily put a stop to that. So Power Platform gives them opportunity to have visibility of all that sort of shadow IT that's going on and enable them to do that while having that transparency. I see that as a win-win for IT. It's absolutely, it's actually very critical for them just to scale out the way that they're wanting. Yeah. So I love this idea of fusion teams. Now I've been running agile teams for a long time and love bringing in existing developers in the IT department who may never have touched a Microsoft technology before, cross-training them. I want to see some business subject matter experts coming in as well, providing requirements, validating our designs, verifying the, the features, and hopefully they'll, they'll become super users and trainers and all sorts of things later. I love that. And Microsoft's put this Fusion team label on it, which is great. Uh, yeah, just you have to be able to contribute the resources to that team. You can't, can't just play at it. And hopefully later it's going to be no code and, and some business user can support it because it's, it's unrealistic to expect that to happen. Yeah, look, I think you almost need like a starter pack. I'm not talking about the center of excellence starter kit, but I mean, you need a really starter pack. So you know, your first 40 hours uh, in low-code, what should you know? Should you use SharePoint or should you use Excel or should you use something like the Dataverse? You know, how big is your app? 
You know, what are you going to use for branding, guidelines, navigation, menu items? You know, what are you going to call these things? Uh, what are best practices around that? How do we reinforce our brand, like our our corporate image, into everything that we build here? So we've got this consistency across our apps because you're going to end up having, if you don't have this starter kit, just kind of a hodgepodge of apps that no way are reflective of each other. <laughs> There's no way tie into each other. And, you know, it's really hard, particularly if you're, trying to build a catalog of apps within your enterprise and you're trying to pick and choose, you go, oh, God, that doesn't look right or whatever. You just want some consistency around that. So I just wish that, you know, very easy steps that they should undertake before they even go down the path of actually putting in a low-code platform for real. Yeah, and I, do, I think that's a message that I would like sort of Microsoft to be pushing a lot, lot more. But obviously, there is also that, we encourage people to try it before they actually buy sort of thing. But I feel that there's this intermediary step before you actually go to that next level, right? IBM's doing quite a lot of, let me get this right, app in a day, kind of sessions for the, well, I guess for its customers really to come along and, and get that first taste experience. What's the demand? That, that program, that, that style of learning has been available now for a couple of years. Is the demand still there for those app in a day sessions? Yeah, 100%. We've got our associates who are running those app in the day sessions, dashboard in a day, RPA in a day, and um, they're doing a great job in actually doing that. But it's also internally training our capability as well because we're having new trainers come through. People are also new to the platform, want to get familiar with it. Uh, being able to deliver those app in the day sessions is really helpful. But obviously, we'll get a lot of inquiries that come off the back of that too. I don't really see any let up. If anything, I think it's probably stronger this year than it has been in previous years. Because I remember having to run these events in KPMG. We probably ran three or four of them, probably not as much as other partners around the place. So, yeah, absolutely. You're still getting probably a full session, like 30, 40-odd people going to these things. Um, I heard a, qu- a great quote today is, when you're trying to learn something, try to learn it as if you have to teach it. And that's obviously what your associates are doing when they're learning these apps for the first time is you're tapping them on the shoulder and say, once you've learned this stuff, you know, you're going to be turning around and, and leading an app in the day course or you know, dashboard in the day app course. That's a great mindset for a new associate to have. Typically, these people are learning lots and soaking up lots of experience and then turning around and delivering that is a great way to cement their, their learning and understanding. Yeah, I got this tip once from one of the Microsoft traders. I think it was around the old Catalyst program. It was one of these programs that they did. And they said, okay, we're going to teach our clients how to use Office 365 and Teams and all the things Microsoft. And they said, um, well, the trainer is going to run it and you'll have someone shadowing them. And then the next time they run it, they reverse roles. So the person shadowing will do the teaching and the trainer will become the person in the backseat. And that's how they'll share that knowledge. Then they'll get a new person shadowing and then the switch roles and that. And they're building out their, their training capability and more and more people can actually deliver this training effectively because they've seen it done. They've done it themselves and now they can teach others. Yeah, very cool. In terms of rolling out training, what are your customers doing? Any any trends or, or changes in how users are receiving training whenever they come to use the apps? Do you see a lot of guided learning, for example? Are we doing user guides or anything more sophisticated than that? Well, I think multifaceted training programs, uh, one that drives them down a certification path, one that drives them around a community. I know Mark Smith uh, has done a lot of work at IBM around that, as in fostering a community internally. Also, another idea has come out there is, you know, gamification, who's actually building it, putting them on leaderboard, who's got the most downloaded apps internally, that sort of stuff. 
as gamification. And I think it's centered around set, creating a sense of community internally within your organization around app building. And that's how you're going to get the most benefit. Out. You really just get what you put in with these things rather than just sit back and absorb the training you get. It's probably not going to be digested as well as if you've had a part in building this community together. One of the communities I launched recently with, along with Danny Cahill here in Queensland is a user group for Australian universities. Uh, I was working with a university client. They were like, oh, you know, they felt they used to have better connections with other Microsoft-friendly universities and what they were doing with the Power Platform and Dynamics 365. They kind of lost touch. Danny and I thought, well, we'll try and get you all back together again and put you in a room, learn from each other. Are you seeing more of that in industry or is it really within a bigger enterprise like IBM or, or some of its larger customers, they're fostering an internal community or are you seeing kind of cross-competitor communities being formed as well? There's been a lot of talk around that. I don't have full visibility of what's going on globally. I'm pretty sure that they're running industry-like uh, events. They they certainly do in other parts of the business, uh, whether it's the Red Hat part of the business or the Watson part. There's certainly themes that they can use these opportunities to actually bring these groups together and have those conversations. Power Platform, I think I haven't seen anything like that yet. Not to say it's not going on, but yeah, it'd be something that'd be great to do, I, I imagine. They actually take a lot of effort to organize, as you know, right, uh, to corral all these people together and get, get a lot of buy-in. But if there's a demand for it, absolutely. And I think higher education, like you say, would be a fantastic place to start because they're all somewhere along that sort of journey of dynamics or power platform. They've been uh, leaders in that space in, in ASPAC for a while. Yeah. I thought that would be a good industry to start because they tend to be quite collegiate. They're used to sharing knowledge amongst each other. There is a certain level of competition for students between Australian universities. And when I think back to some of the industries that use Dynamics 365, they use it to compete in their industry and they may not want to share their trade secrets uh, with other competitors in the industry. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember when I was back in the day at another company, not KPMG, um, but we did a lot of work out of Asia that didn't really want to do those sort of events where they had knowledge sharing amongst competitors, uh, quite sort of strict around that sort of stuff. And I think it might have been a cultural thing, but that could never really get off the ground. So things like getting user groups off the ground there was challenging. <laughs> so some sensitivities around that. Yeah, absolutely. But you like you said, like higher education, they're very used to collaboration and maybe that just comes from the academic uh, nature of it where they're used to collaborating on a number of sort of facets, right? Um, speaking of user groups, are you still involved in some of the Australian user groups? Is there an Adelaide user group these days? Unfortunately, I'm not these days. Um, very much uh, to, sort of took a backseat to community events last year. just needed to give myself a bit of a breather <laughs> and a break for it because I'd been running it for probably, I'd say, a good seven, eight years prior to that. And as you know, it's a lot of effort, certainly a lot of reward to it, but I think once we started going into pandemic mode, I think the reward was a bit less than it was in prior years. So I was just felt a little bit burnt out. So I took a break from it. Now I'd like to get back into it, probably more from a speaking standpoint rather than an organizing standpoint, at least in the next sort of 12 months, because there's a lot of things I, I want to talk about now. It's like, oh God, I've got a bit of time in my hands. Maybe I could talk about UX or, you know, the latest Figma or, or anything like that. And you know, so part of the reason why I'm on here. <laughs> so That's an interesting one. So the, the, um, let's go into the Figma stuff because I am not a UI person. My designs are pretty dreadful. 
Many, many years ago, I used a UI kind of prototyping tool, a wireframing tool called Axure RP Pro, A-X-U-R-E. And I used to take the CRM 3.0 forms and views, and I'd screenshot them, lay them onto this canvas, and then over the top of them, I'd add all the components until you took the screenshot away underneath, and what you were left with was an absolute replica, pixel-perfect replica of the form or the grid or whatever it was you had underneath. You could annotate all the widgets and have metadata about them. You could generate a word template, a word specification, or even an HTML prototype. And it took me hundreds of hours. And then CRM 4.0 got released and I had to update everything. And then eventually I thought, I'll stuff it. But it seems like we're going back to those kind of rapid prototyping tools with with Figma and and others. Love to hear more about what what you've experimented with, what your clients are doing with it. Well, look, I think it's the fastest growing area in the creative space. And Adobe just acquired Figma. Yes. And now I've read an article recently talking about the figmatization of Adobe, uh, which is talking about how Adobe is looking to position their products much the way Figma does. It's a collaborative tool. I think the cross between Mirror or any other collaborative tools where you could effectively collaborate and build designs together. And that's what I think Adobe wants to go to. So it's very interesting. There's been a lot of, um, a lot of reaction, I think, to this acquisition uh, of Figma, particularly by Adobe. Even the Department of Justice is looking into it at the moment, um, whether or not how much of the creative space will Adobe end up owning. I just think it's, very, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. But I, I'm a huge advocate of Figma. I used Figma before. It was sort of Microsoft positioned it as a tool for um, building Power Apps and Office 365. I'd done sort of web development and web design uh, in a prior life. And so I was very interested from the UX perspective, but very, very effective. Uh, it's a great way. Like I invite my collaborators, uh, my clients to join me in actually building uh, wireframes for, for Power Apps. I think the integration between the two systems, Microsoft and Figma, isn't quite there yet particularly with that um, PowerX template, it's getting there. It's a version one, right? It's not going to import cleanly, but at least it gives you an idea. It gives you consistency, right? Which is what you're after when you're actually building PowerX. So it's been incredibly useful thus far. This is just touching tip of the iceberg for actually um, app development in PowerX. So yeah, I think it's an incredibly powerful tool. And I think th- these sort of tools are just going to be more and more important going, going forward into the future for sure. Interesting. We'll see what happens, whether Microsoft continues to invest in it. Maybe a partner or somebody else will pick it up as a community project. I have some Adobe shares. I don't know if you remember years ago, but Microsoft and Adobe announced a big strategic relationship. And Microsoft was uh, promoting Adobe campaign and um, to its kind of enterprise marketing customers as, a, as an option. Then Microsoft released Dynamics 365 marketing, which is getting better and better and snapping on the heels of Adobe campaign. But that, that, that strategic relationship never really came to much. I bought some shares in Adobe. How's it going anyway? And they've gone, they've gone pretty good. My Microsoft shares have done much better, but my Adobe shares until, until they announced the Figma acquisition <laughs> were doing pretty good. And then they tanked. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they dropped about, I know there's been a general tech sell off. I haven't been following the share market. I'm terrible at that stuff. I'll put mine in crypto. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and that went great. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've gone south even even more quickly. Uh, yeah, I went sideways quickly. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the Adobe shares dropped quite, I can't remember how much, 10% on the day that they announced the Figma acquisition. But And I think that was not because of the financials of the deal, but I think there was just a lot of Figma fans who were upset 
And the market read that reaction and went, oh, these Figma customers are not happy. Um, they like their independence. They like whatever freedom they've got for customers of a small company. And now they're going to be part of a big enterprise. Well, will it be rolled into a product like Creative Cloud? Right. Will it be a subscription-based service? I mean, it already is a subscription-based service. I don't know the difference, but but you know, from my perspective, I I see it as sort of a good thing because I've got a, a subscription to Creative Cloud and I've got a subscription to Figma. Now it's I can't even what what's the matter with that? Yeah, well, if if they don't charge you any more for Creative Cloud, they just roll Figma in, then you might save a few bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't use half the products in Creative Cloud anyway. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever touched Microsoft's new Microsoft Designer? I think it is. It's, I don't think it's a Figma competitor. but No, it's not. I haven't played with it personally. Yeah. Are they advocating it pretty hard for like Office 365 development? I understand it hasn't gone into the biz app space. So that's probably why it's not on my radar. <laughs> I think it's, it's an experiment. I don't think Microsoft's throwing their full weight behind Microsoft Designer yet. They're going to see what the, what the customer reaction is like to it. I just... Um, I use Canva a little bit. Microsoft has done a lot in this space. They've done heaps in this space. They've got the fluent UI. They got front page. (laughs) (laughs) Publisher. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. They haven't really taken PowerPoint much further for for many years. It's been fairly stable. And Canva obviously snapping on its heels as a graphic design presentation tool. So, yeah, it's, it's good to see some people, you know, Microsoft's great great software vendor, great partner. But I love to see people up and coming, challenging them and pushing them and uh, making them work a bit harder. So good on them. Speaking of PowerPoint, do you remember the big push was um, 3D objects and 3D models into PowerPoint? <laughs> I think it was like, what was it, four or five years ago? Like my first MVP, something, well, we're on a bus and someone's talking about the next iteration of PowerPoint. It's going to have you know, 3D rotating stuff and here's something I've done already. <laughs> I hope that wasn't an NDA secret. You've just spilled about something you learned on a bus. It's probably still on the roadmap somewhere down at the bottom of the backlog. No, it's it's been a feature for like four or five years now. Oh, okay. Like it just, it was released. You can actually import a 3D design model directly into your PowerPoint. Oh. And you can get like dinosaurs that are running around in your PowerPoint. I don't think anyone actually did it, but it was actually cool that you could do it. No. <laughs> right. Well, in, in Queensland, we're still waiting for 3D televisions to take off. You know, they were on the ridge four or five years ago. And we all bought the glasses and, and nothing, uh, nothing ever happened. There you go. I've seen a couple of presentations recently on Metaverse. I don't know if that's another emerging technology that has any overlap with biz apps, but there was an interesting presentation on it at the New Zealand Business Applications Summit last week. And Facebook's all in on it, which scares the scares the heck out of me. I don't want to I don't want to be in a space that Facebook dominates and controls. That's the last thing I think would be good for the future of the internet. Well, are they primarily virtual reality, not uh, an augmented reality, right? And Microsoft's HoloLens. That's mixed reality. Yes. Which my understanding is it actually does pass through imagery, overlays uh, content on top, whereas Metaverse is looking at taking over your world with virtual reality, right? Mostly. I think it's there's 20% augmented reality in there as well because there's some of the Metaverse headsets, not so much pass-through, but it's got exterior cameras, so it's not like a semi-transparent lens like the HoloLens. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I, saw, I did see a, a Facebook a preview video where there's a couple of cameras at the edge of the rim of the glasses pointing down at your face. And so it can detect your facial movements and your muscle movements and your expressions. And so it's not just a 
cartoon avatar, but they can actually take your face and animate it in real time during a video call. And emote it. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. You've got the lip movements um, and expressions and reactions. Very clever technology, whether that scares people or excites people. I don't know, but probably both in equal measure. I think we're on the cusp. Apple said that they've got, they employ 3,000 engineers to work on the next version of their glasses. We haven't even seen their first version of the glasses. That never got released, but apparently they're onto version two now. So that's going to be interesting. I think once Apple are in and Facebook, that's going to take off in a really, really big way. I mean, we've been saying it's going to take off for ages. I mean, I remember getting my first HTC Vive virtual reality set and, um, I'll put it on for the first time. I've never seen, I've never felt anything that real in my life, like game-wise. It was just absolutely immersive. It was just unbelievable. And then I, I gave it to my brother and he, he was playing a racing game and he crashed into a wall and he's like, oh my God, Jesus. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that is the freakiest thing I've ever felt. It's just one of those things that it's impossible to demo. <laughs> like you have to actually give someone a unit and tell them to try it and then see what their reactions are to it. It's impossible to put a YouTube clip or, you know, like even talking about it is very difficult to do it justice. But I think absolutely there will be crossover with biz apps, you know, in the workplace somehow, some way. <laughs> yeah, well, even just coming back to those UX sessions, it was, like you said, even MKBHD said you can't really demonstrate this stuff. And he tried to show a couple of clips, but you're watching a 2D image of what's supposed to be a 3D experience. It's very tough. Uh, and there were... Uh, meeting rooms with online and in-person participants, but they had a collaborative whiteboard, but you're actually feeling the experience of standing up at a whiteboard, moving post-it notes around. And it was a you know, much more immersive experience. Whether it's better than a physical experience, I don't know. I wonder what the equivalent of turning your camera off <laughs> in a VR meeting <laughs> is. <laughs> yes. Let's get a robe put on here. <laughs> Oh, gosh. It's a brave new world. You know, I wonder what my kids are going to grow up with whenever they get to work and uh, get to play with some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. They they thought about what they're doing. They're going to grow up like Dad, go on to IT. I don't know. My my son, is um, he's into all sorts of stuff. He lo- likes trying anything once. My, my middle daughter, she's pretty technical. She's the one that sets up the remote control, fixes the Sonos, fixes her mum's phone. Uh, she's seven. She's into it. Um, so we'll probably send her on some coding camps and see if she uh, takes to that. I think she could be pretty gifted at it. And then my youngest one's five, so she's still you know, drawing pictures of, uh, of uh, grandma and stuff. But uh, cool. What about your kids? What do you think they're going to emerge into? Oh, I don't know. Be something to do. Either a YouTuber, TikToker, uh, probably somewhere on Minecraft, building booze. It changes from week to week. Like, honestly, I just I don't, I don't know what they want to do. I'm happy to support them, whatever they want to do. That's fine. <laughs> just wish they'd make up their minds and just choose one thing. Yeah. My parents were very patient with me and I tried everything. You know, I tried most musical instruments. I tried different types of after-school activities and sports. And I want my kids to be free to try everything and something will stick and they'll find their passion soon, <laughs> I hope. But uh, yeah. And what about you? Did you, uh, straight out of high school, what did you do? Uh, so I, I dabbled with computers. So I had a Dragon 32 and I was about 10 years old, learned to program a bit of basic. I graduated to uh, maintaining the school magazine. So I was a desktop publishing kind of guy with an Atari and then a bit of Apple and helped the school produce a magazine. 
At university, I did um, a biochemistry degree and uh, nothing to do with, very little to do with computers, yeah. What sent you in that direction? What did you, what did you pick that? I had a biology teacher. Uh, thanks for the interview questions, by the way. This is awesome. Oh, no, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> I don't think I've ever asked you. I had a biology teacher who said, Neil, I think if you work really hard at, at biology, you could probably get a, a B. I'm like, what? Uh, this is my favorite subject. Oh, holy cow, I, I, what will I show you? And of course, she just knew how to motivate me. She knew exactly what she was doing, pressed my button. And so I blitzed biology. When it came to doing some work experience, you remember at school, you have to do a few days or a, a week of work experience. I struggled to find anywhere that wasn't just working in one of my families. So she sent me to work with her sister, who was a biomedical researcher at a university near my grandparents. So I stayed with my grandparents. I went to her sister's lab for a week. I thought, this is great. And yeah, a couple of years, well, about a year or two later, I ended up choosing biochemistry, but eventually fell back into IT. Oh, okay. Long road back. Wow, there you go. There you go. What about you? What did did you study at uni? Did you go to uni? I did. I did, uh, like economics management and uh, IT at the same time. But I've always been working like like I had to support myself during uni and that sort of stuff. So I took odd jobs as like computer technicians and fixing people's computers. And this is like this is before Y2K, so I was quite – then that sort of took off and I had to learn programming because there's a lot of sort of Y2K type opportunities came up. I'm like, cool, I'm going to give that a shot. That looks like fun. So I did some of that sort of stuff and uh, – uh, yeah, I just enjoyed the IT side of it more, so I uh, finished that up. But uh, I've had all sorts of uh, roles. Worked in factory, worked in uh, worked on farms, then before moving into education, higher education. Yeah, so yeah, it's been it's been interesting. When you think about the people coming into the industry now, particularly the I know IBM's recruiting a lot of associates and things. Where, where what backgrounds do they come from? Do you think some you know is it school leavers? Is it graduates? I've seen a lot of people come through from the probably business management side as well. That's what, I mean, that seems to be their primary core discipline at university. And uh, obviously there's the um, IT side as well, software engineering side, and they come through. They have a bit of a, like, the program they have is like a learn or you earn sort of final year program as well. So they run pretty good internship programs and that gives them exposure then they can get an opportunity working in one of the innovation centers at the end of it, which is pretty cool for, for them. And they get rotated around, get training. Uh, so it feels like it's a natural extension from their uni. I like it. And the people we've got coming through are very impressive. I'm probably better than I was when I came out. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not too difficult. <laughs> no, I feel the same way looking at the crop that you know I'm, I'm working with in training. You just think, oh, these people seem so much brighter, more driven, more articulate, and better organized than I ever was. It's it's amazing. I think our generations uh, come with a pretty strong like work ethic, and I think it's probably instilled. I don't know if you're you're a gen you're a Gen Xer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same. Uh, I'm, don't want to turn into a generational debate, but <laughs> uh, but I just think there's there's certainly something to be said there that can uh, it's sort of our turn to actually coach a lot of these young guys that are coming through uh, the system right now. Uh, I think it's great. Like I just don't feel like I really got that sort of support when I was actually coming up. If there was a an emerging application or area within Microsoft Business Applications, and somebody said, "Hey, Andrew, what what should I specialize in? Where do you think the hot topics are now that that somebody could?" you know, build a career around over the next 
you know, not lifetime, but next three or four years. Take your pick, man. Like if you wanted to go into finance, fin and ops, I mean, it's not an area that I, I personally have a lot of experience in. I'm not a CPA, but I mean, definitely a massive growth area, huge demand in that space. And I wish I knew it a lot better. So there's, there's a really good path, but I mean, you've got to have that right sort of mindset. The guys that see that, you know, do really, really well, either from the technical side, highly into sort of, you know, financial dimensions, that sort of stuff, or they're CPAs, right? <laughs> or a crossover, a mixture of the two. So, I, and they seem to do really well. But obviously, low code, I think the opportunity is like a lot broader than when we were looking at it like 10, 12 years ago, I would say, because we had CRM and there was quite limited what you could do with CRM. Uh, you could strip out and replace legacy CRM systems. Great. Now what? <laughs> and then when you walked into a customer engagement platform, you can actually connect with your, you know, B2C customers. Oh, okay. So you're now a portal uh, expert, you know, and it just opened up new things. I think business applications are just a great area, great domain to be in. And who's to say that you have to stick with just one thing? You could traverse around until you actually find your sweet spot. Absolutely. It's a fantastic place to start. I'm very grateful for the opportunities it's brought me in, in my career. One of the best things I, I, about it has been the global opportunities. I've got a friend who's a Kiwi optometrist, came to the UK, had to recertify, restudy. If you were in nursing or teaching or law or so many other great professions as well, but geographically if you or globally, if you want to move, it's a little bit tricky. You have to you know, do some new exams and get acquainted with the differences in, in the new location you're working in. With IT, you can just pick it up and move anywhere. It's so easy. Yeah, but you've moved from what, UK and into Australia? Have you worked anywhere else other than UK? I uh, worked in, in the US for three years as well in California, yeah. And so do you think most of that sort of trends? Oh, easily. I think most of that carries across, right? It's quite yeah. lingo. I was talking to my carpenter, he's a great guy, he's from Canada, and he's telling me all the differences uh, between carpentry in Canada and carpentry in Australia. What's the difference? It's wood's wood? Just little things like skirting. They call it baseboard. I said baseboard. That sounds like some sort of flooring cover or something like that. And it's just words for, I don't know. There's, and so he's trying to go for his building license at the moment. It's quite interesting. Shout out to Matt. It's a great bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he always listens to the Amazing Applications podcast. <laughs> I told him I was going to do a podcast. He said, well, what's that about? So I said, ah, oh, probably dribble. My kids were asking me the weekend over the origin of some Australian slang, like where did fair dinkum come from? You know, we kind of know, they kind of know what it means. Where does galah come from? And my knowledge of Australian slang, all most of it stems from Alf and neighbors uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> but uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't use words like bogan or, or you know, slang like that. But uh, my Australian uh, diction is, is pretty poor. I have to brush up on my Australian slang. Yeah, yeah. Look, it varies, right? It varies depending on where you are. Like if you're in some of the rougher suburbs, it's it's Esha, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, bringing it back around to business applications again. Let's try not to uh, to swear too, too much in in uh, in Queensland or South Australian slang. <laughs> are there any particular events coming up that you're that you're speaking at that you're going to be presenting at that we can get hold of the latest content or what's happening on your YouTube channel, your blog, where can people catch up with you and, and follow your content? I'm hoping I, I'm going to start off a couple of new um, power apps controls that I'm going to build out. 
because I'm looking at doing a bit more coding and getting my hands stuck into those of you who don't know, these are custom controls that you can just drop, drag and drop into Power Apps. I'm looking at collaborating with a few other guys in the community around building PCF controls as well. Yeah, you've got a couple already available, don't you? Yeah, I've got several. It's all open source, so you can just grab it and download it and use them. So I want to do a series uh, on, uh, I think it's been a few minutes since we last looked at the Power Apps component framework. And I need to understand what's changed in the last couple of years as well. And so that way I can sort of get up to date and then relay that to the rest of the community. So once I do that, I'll probably announce a couple of speaking sessions, I reckon. Yeah, cool. So you can embed those now on portal pages and on custom pages as well. So I think custom pages are a really exciting blend of Canvas and model apps and, and PCF lives right in the heart of that. So Yep, lots happening. Right, I mean, I think in the past we were sort of limited, very, very limited in what we could do in CRM. And if we could show them that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, I think that's going to be a pretty powerful message for our clients. Yeah. My teams are beginning to build and reuse lots of PCF components really just to react to common scenarios that we hear, like address lookups. So I want to use this a web service in order to you know, check or v- validate an address or format it correctly. Okay. And this web service provides us with electorate information or local government boundary information. Great. We'll grab that and we'll, we'll store that on the contact or account record. Or I want to check this ABN, so it's the Australian business number against the Australian business register and pull in the, the account's legal name and that kind of stuff. And yeah, I built one of those. We hear those requests all the time. Yeah, we all have. Yeah. Um, I think okay, the, the ones that you mentioned there, I think uh, in the last couple of months has been uploaded to the PCF gallery, <laughs> the address lookup, and I think even the ACN validator. So <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that. <laughs> so th- there's a couple that you've built, aren't they? No, not that. I actually, I built one out. The problem with the ABN register, I don't want to go into too much detail into it, but there's some reg- there's a registration process that's involved as well. I struggled to actually say, well, how do you personalize it so you can include your own key and i was just spending to, i was spinning my wheels on it and i never released it but someone actually did release it <laughs> last month so someone has obviously had this is a great thing about it like everyone has the same problem it's not unique it's not a unique challenge so if you build it you're the first to actually publish it you get kudos for it it's great well let's talk about uh, community stuff can i run an idea past you i haven't really talked about this in public yet but yeah. I'm feeling a little bit stuck here in Queensland. I haven't been able to make it over to Redmond or any of the community conferences outside of Australia. Um, New Zealand Business Applications Summit was last week. We've had Nordic Summit. We've had South Coast Summit. We had Scottish Summit. We had the Power Platform Conference. Um, it was DynamicsCon Live. It's all these things happening. I'm so jealous. And international travel seems not that likely for me and my family in the near future. Do you think there'd be sufficient demand for an Australian Power Platform Conference. We'd love to have you come up to Queensland, of course, host it up here. I would hope so. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think we've been doing everything virtually with the user groups for the last couple of years. It would be great to actually run an in-person event. I think it's severely lacking. Maybe it's something we could test. Uh, We have an in-person event. I don't know if you're going to be there for the MVP due on December. We could bring it up for discussion, I reckon. Are you going to go up to Sydney for the um, the MVP catch-up? Yeah, I'm going to try to, uh, if I can, if, if my schedules line up. I would like to get other people's opinion. I'm really hoping that's the case. I never really thought of booking a little flight. I've got to, um, I'm trying to keep my um, 
my airline status <laughs> current. And all I have to do is fly once or twice a year and they seem to give you a renewal. But um, yeah, a little excuse to travel down to Sydney and catch up with a few folk. That might be a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. But yeah, look, I'm, I'm hoping there are other people who are just like dying to do an in-person event as well. If there's one on, I would happily volunteer to like support it and speak and that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Good. You can speak to some of their friends at IBM and, and organize some sponsorship. Yeah, look, I'm pretty sure they'd be on board with that, but I don't, I don't want to speak for them. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> but just give me your purchase order number. That'd, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cost code, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Andrew, it's, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and uh, and find out the latest about uh, UX and about Figma and about moving into the industry and bringing people up through the industry. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Any last words you'd like to add? Anything I should have asked you that I didn't? No, I just say keep your eye out. Tell me what you think about Figma. Let me know what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in terms of that Figma-Microsoft relationship. I would really like to know. Like, I'd like to really get deep into that uh, in the near future. Hopefully, we can have another discussion around that. Yeah. Have you seen Danny Cahill's got a, I can't remember, it's a blog article or a paper of his initial impressions. I don't think he's got a lot of experience with Figma. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen a couple others in the MVP community as well, and I think it's pretty good. Oh, well, sounds, it's way too late for me then. The bandwagon's already <laughs> off to the races. It's an incredible world in there, mate. Yeah. There's always something to discover. Yeah, great stuff. Well, Andrew, so, uh, thanks so much for making some time to come on to Amazing Application Show. Really appreciate it. We'll, we'll have you back on soon, I hope. Pleasure. Thanks for the banter, mate. Yeah, good to speak to you. Have a good evening. Good on you, mate. Cheers. Thanks for joining us in another amazing episode of Amazing Applications. Remember, you can find show notes for this episode at amazingapps.show slash 132. And if you visit the Amazing Apps site and subscribe to the show using your email address, I'll send you a personalized thank you video that you can show off to all your friends, family, and coworkers. Thanks again to Andrew Lee. You'll find links to all of Andrew's amazing PCF components, social media, and other content in the show notes. Join me again. Until next time, keep sprinting.